Chapter Seventeen of Esther Reed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Esther Reed by Pansy. Chapter Seventeen. Stepping Between. They lingered together for a few minutes in the sitting room. Abby, Esther, Ralph, and Mister Foster. They had been having a half sad, half merry talk. It was the evening before the wedding. Ere this time tomorrow, Abby would have left them, and in just a little while the ocean would roll between them. Esther drew a heavy sigh as she thought of it all. This magic three weeks, which had glowed in beauty for her, such as she told herself her life would never see again, were just on the eve of departure. Only two days now before she would carry that same restless, unhappy heart back among the clattering dishes in that pantry and dining room at home. Ralph broke the little moment of silence which had fallen between them. Foster, listen to the sweet tones of that distant clock. It is the last time that you, being a free man, will hear it strike five. Unless I prove to be an early riser on the morrow, which necessity will compel me to become if I tarry longer here at present. Abby, I must be busy this entire evening. That funeral obliged me to defer some important business matters that I meant should have been dispatched early in the day. It isn't possible that you have been to a funeral today. How you do mix things, Ralph uttered the sentence in real or pretended horror. Why not? Mr. Foster answered gently and added, It is true, though, life and death are very strangely mixed. It was our little Sabbath school girl, Sally, whom we laid to rest today. It didn't jar as some funerals would have done. One had simply to remember that she had reached home. Miss Esther, if you will get that package for me, I will execute your commission with pleasure. Esther went away to do his bidding, and Ralph, promising to meet him at the store in an hour, sauntered away. And for a few moments Abby and Mr. Foster talked together alone. Goodbye, all of you, he said, smiling as he glanced back at the two girls a few moments later. Take care of her, Esther, until I relieve you. It will not be long now. Take care, Esther answered gaily. You have forgotten the slip that there may be between the cup and the lip. But he answered her with an almost solemn gravity. I never forget that more worthy expression of the same idea. We know not what a day may bring forth. But I always remember with exceeding joy that God knows and will lead us. He is graver than ten ministers, Esther said, as they turned from the window. Come, Abby, let us go upstairs. It was two hours later when Abby entered the sitting-room where Esther awaited her and curled herself into a small heap of white muslin at Esther's feet. There, said she, with a musical little laugh, Mother has sent me away. The measure of her disgust is complete now. Dr. Downing is in the sitting-room, and I have been guilty of going in to see him. Imagine such a fearful breach of etiquette taking place in the house of Reed. Do you know, I don't quite know what to do with myself. There is really nothing more to busy myself about, unless I eat the wedding cake. You don't act in the least like a young lady who is to be married tomorrow, was Esther's answer, as she regarded her cousin with a half-amused, half-puzzled air. Don't I? asked Abby, trying to look alarmed. What have I done now? I'm forever treading on bits of propriety and crushing them. It will be a real relief to me when I am safely married and can relapse into a common mortal again. Why, Esther, 
what have I been guilty of just now? You are not a bit sentimental, are you, Abby? And at this gravely put question, Abby's laugh rang out again. Now don't, please, add that item to the list, she said merrily. Esther, is it very important that one should be sentimental on such an occasion? I wish you were married, I really do, so that I might be told just how to conduct myself. How can you and mother be so unreasonable as to expect perfection when it is all new, and I really never practiced in my life? Then a change, as sudden as it was sweet, flushed over Abby's face. The merry look died out, and in its place a gentle, tender softness rested in the blue eyes, and her voice was low and quiet. You think my mood a strange one, I fancy, dear Esther, almost unbecoming in its gaiety. Perhaps it is, and yet I feel it bright and glad and happy. The change is a solemn one, but it seems to me that I have considered it long and well. I remember that my new home is to be very near my old one, that my brother will have a patient, faithful, lifelong friend in Mr. Foster, and this makes me feel more hopeful for him. And, indeed, it seems to me that I feel like repeating, the lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places. I do not, therefore, affect a gravity that I do not feel. I am gloriously happy to-night, and the strongest feeling in my heart is thankfulness. My heavenly Father has brimmed my earthly cup, so that it seems to me there is not room in my heart for another throb of joy. And so you see, Esther, what on earth can be going on downstairs? Have you noticed the banging of doors and the general confusion that reigns through the house? Positively, if I wasn't afraid of shocking mother into a fainting fit, I would start on a voyage of discovery. Suppose I go, Esther answered, laughing. Inasmuch as I am not going to be married, there can be no harm in seeing what new developments there are below stairs. I mean to go. I'll send you word if it is anything very amazing. And with a laughing adieu, Esther closed the door on the young bride-elect and ran swiftly downstairs. There did seem to be a good deal of confusion in the orderly household, and the very air of the hall seemed to be pervaded with a singular subdued excitement. Voices of suppressed loudness issued from the front parlor, and as Esther knocked she heard a half-scream from Mrs. Reed, mingled with cries of, Don't let her in! Growing thoroughly alarmed, Esther now abruptly pushed open the door and entered. "'Oh, for mercy's sake, don't let her come!' almost screamed Mrs. Reed, starting wildly forward. "'Mother, hush!' said Ralph's voice in solemn sternness. "'It is only Esther. Where is Abby?' "'In her room. What is the matter? Why do you all act so strangely? I came in to see what caused so much noise.' And then her eyes and voice were arrested by a group around the sofa. Mr. Reed and Dr. Downing, and stooping over some object which was hidden from her, was the man who had been pointed out to her as the great Dr. Archer. As she looked in terrified amazement, he raised his head and spoke. It is as I feared, Mr. Reed. The pulse has ceased. It is not possible, and the hollow, awestruck tone in which Mr. Reed spoke cannot be described. And then Esther saw stretched on that sofa a perfectly motionless form, a perfectly pale and quiet face, rapidly settling into the strange solemn calm of death, and that face and form were Mr. Foster's. And she stood as if riveted to the spot, stood in speechless, moveless horror and amaze, and then the swift coming thoughts shaped themselves into two woe-charged words, O oh, Abby! 
What a household was this into which death had so swiftly and silently entered? The very rooms in which the quiet form lay sleeping, all decked in festive beauty in honor of the bridal morning. But, oh, there was to come no bridal. Esther shrank back in awful terror from the petition that she would go to Abby. I cannot, I cannot, she repeated again and again. It will kill her, and oh, it would kill me to tell her. Mrs. Reed was even more hopeless a dependence than Esther, and Mr. Reed cried out in the very agony of despair. What shall we do? Is there nobody to help us? Then Ralph came forward, grave almost to sternness, but very calm. Dr. Downing, he said, addressing the gentleman who had withdrawn a little from the family group. It seems to me that you are our only hope in this time of trial. My sister and you are sustained, I verily believe, by the same power. The rest of us seem to have no sustaining power. Would you go to my sister, sir? Dr. Downing turned his eyes slowly away from the calm, moveless face which seemed to have fascinated him, and said simply, I will do what I can for Abby. It is blessed to think what a helper she has, one who never faileth. God pity those who have no such friend. So they showed him up to a brightly lighted library and sent a message to the unconscious Abby. Dr. Downing, she said, turning briskly from the window in answer to Maggie's summons, whatever does he want of me, do you suppose, Maggie? I'm half afraid of him tonight. However, I'll endeavor to brave the ordeal. Tell Miss Esther to come up to me as soon as she can, and be ready to defend me if I am to receive a lecture. This, as she flitted by toward the door, and a pitying cloud just then hid the face of the August moon, and veiled from the glance of the poor young creature the white, frightened face of Maggie. With what unutterable agony of fear did the family below wait and long for and dread the return of Dr. Downing, or some message from that dreadful room? The moments that seemed hours to them dragged on, and no sound came to them. She has not fainted then, muttered Ralph at last, or he would have rung. Esther, do you know what Maggie said? Could you not go to her? Esther cowered and shrunk. Oh, Ralph, don't ask me. I cannot. Then they waited again in silence, and at last shivered with fear as Dr. Downing softly opened the door. There were traces of deep emotion on his face, but just now it was wonderful for its calmness. She knows all, he said, addressing Mr. Reed, and the widow's God is hers. Mrs. Reed, she makes a special request that she need see no living soul tonight, and indeed I think it will be best. And now, my friends, may I pray with you in this hour of trial. So while quick, skillful fingers prepared the sleeper in that front parlor for his long, long rest, a group such as had never bowed the knee together before knelt in the room just across the hall, and amid tears and moans they were commended to the care of him who waits to help us all. By and by a solemn quiet settled down upon that strangely stricken household. In the front parlor the folding doors were closed, and the angel of death kept guard over his quiet victim. From the chamber overhead came forth no sound, and none knew, save God, how fared the struggle between despair and submission in that young heart. In the sitting-room Esther waited breathlessly while Ralph gave the particulars, which she had not until now been able to hear. We were crossing just above the store, had nearly got across, 
he was just saying that his preparations were entirely perfected for a long absence. It is a long journey, he added, and if I never come back I have the satisfaction of thinking that I have left everything ready even for that. It is well to be ready even for death, Ralph, he said, with one of his glorious smiles. It makes life pleasanter. I don't know how I can tell you the rest. And Ralph's lips grew white and tremulous. Indeed, I hardly know how it was. There was an old bent woman crossing just behind us, and there was a carriage and a wretch of a drunken driver pushing his way through. I don't know how Foster came to look around, but he did and said, There is my dear old lady behind us, Ralph. She ought not to be out with a mere child for a companion. And then he uttered an exclamation of terror and sprang forward. And I know nothing clearly that followed. I saw him drag that old woman fairly from under the horse's feet. I heard the driver curse and saw him strike his frightened horses, and they reared and plunged, and I saw him fall. But it all seemed to happen in one second of time, and how I got him home and got Dr. Archer and kept it from Abby I don't seem to know. Oh, God, help my poor little fair darling. And Ralph choked and stopped and wiped from his eyes great burning tears. Oh, Ralph, said Esther, as soon as she could speak, then all this misery comes because that driver was intoxicated. Yes, said Ralph, with compressed lips and flashing eyes. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Romans 13.11 End of chapter 17 Recording by Tricia G.